0: Welcome to Sacred Realms. Ah! It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. Just us again this week, Matt. Just us again. I know we've had some guests on. uh, Everyone's favorite guest, the detective himself, uh, the man of many names, uh, Mike, on last week. But we are here to talk about a meaty section of game. Uh, So, you know, I always do relish a good uh, just-you-and-me time, Lyndon. There's, there's, there's There's a special intimacy about it that I that I enjoy. Not the word I would have chosen, but cool. Whatever uh, floats your boat. Um, yeah. Because you're not an artist at Heartland. <laughs> okay. my Okay. All right. <laughs> Whatever you say, man. Um, yeah. No, 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 no. I'm super happy. This is going to be a really fun one to talk about, and I'm glad that you and I are going to be kind of alone to really break it down just because I feel like this is the first Um, Aside from the Great Plateau, this is the first major next step in the Breath of the Wild story as we go forward. Absolutely. I think uh, we are actually like getting on the path to Ganon's downfall this week. We've done a lot of world building. We've done a lot of character building. We've done a lot of uh, just getting our feet wet within the world of Breath of the Wild uh, in the largest Hyrule that uh, exists in any game to date. Uh, Just getting the mechanics down and really exploring what it means to be Link 100 years post his supposed death in a uh, desolated Hyrule, and now we're uh, finally getting our feet on the path to uh, correcting that hundred-year-old mistake. So uh, I'm excited; it's going to be a lot of fun. Yep, progress has been made. Putting aside Breath of the Wild for one second, how you doing, Matt? Oh, I'm fantastic, Lyndon. It's a uh, it's a good, wonderful spring day. Um, work is picking up a little bit for my some of my clients. I actually might be getting a new one, so uh, you know, professional life is a little busy. Uh, personal life is going well. Uh, me and and my friend who is female who is now girlfriend are doing well and uh love it love it, love it. yeah so it's uh things are things are progressing a pace, as they say. Nice. In a, in, a, in a good way. Nice. And of course, so we actually are having kind of a, a big old week of podcast recording. Uh, we're, we're recording this one on Tuesday, and then on Thursday night, we're going to be joined by the man himself, Max Nichols, to talk about our next chapter. Ooh, yeah. um, so two episodes in one week. That is, of course, because you're going on a big boy business trip next week. I am a week-long mi- business trip in Memphis, which I'm not particularly looking forward to, but it is going to give me a lot of time to play Zelda, so I am looking forward to that. But between plane flights and hotel room chill time, yeah. I yeah, mean, there's a lot of Zelda to be played next week. The Nintendo Switch uh, was God's, or I should say, Nintendo's gift to people in that exact situation, so. It is the best gaming console around for uh, new parents and business people alike. Yep, yep. Um, are you going to maybe, like, try and take your dock with you and plug it into the hotel room TV, or are you just gonna, nah? Nah, nah, it's not worth it. I I generally, I like to... uh. Put my feet up at the end of the day. uh, Working in the distribution center in Memphis, and uh, I like to relax on the bed. And I don't want to be trying to mess around with the weird hotel room Wi-Fi and their HDMI and their crappy TVs anyway. Like worst. eh. And and honestly, like taking all that through security because I'm just gonna. I'm not checking a bag. There's no point. Like I don't want to be carrying that on. And this just sounds like a pain. Yep, totally get you. One of these days, you really got to upgrade for that Swolead. You know, that requires money, and uh, (laughs) money is hard to come by in today's economy where filling up my gas tank is about $60 and rent is insanely expensive. So, you know, cost of living is a little high right now. But one day, I do really want to because I did actually – I stole your Swolead a few weeks ago uh, while I was over here recording and just like played a little bit. Like I didn't save anything. Obviously I just like ran around in Hyrule for a while and I was like, man, this is, like, noticeably better. It just looks so much better. So I do really, really want a LED. Uh, But no, I'm still rocking the OG Switch. And actually, I might have to upgrade to the Swolled sooner rather than later because my Switch is starting to not recognize the uh, Joy-Cons when they're docked. It, like, will tell me, like, one of your Joy-Cons is disconnected. And then I have to, like, reset the whole console to correct it, which is kind of a pain. Yeah, you don't want that. Uh, sounds like something you might be able to throw some tax refund money at. You know, tax refunds are great. They, uh... They're pretty awesome. Uh, when you get money back, and uh, but right now I'm mostly going to uh, pay rent with uh, with, with tax <laughs> refunds, which is a little more important than a swoled. Is it being an adult great? I don't think anyone has ever said that. No, it's it's really the only the only <laughs> pros to being an adult are probably being uh, able to drive a car and drink whiskey, uh, or in our case tonight, gin. Like, really, I I guess, you know, the whole getting married and having kids thing is supposedly Mm -hmm. great. I am neither, so I can't speak to that. But, yeah, I mean, adulthood is really just a trap. Well, speaking of uh, libations, why don't you you let everyone know what you whipped up for us tonight? So we uh, got a wonderful recipe for a uh, perfect martini from a good friend of the family, good old Bob. Uh, We uh, do – So we're we're drinking gin martinis uh, with Roku gin, so a nice Japanese gin in celebration of our uh, wonderful Nintendo friends. Uh, It is a nice floral gin, not like piney or tarry like so many of those, uh, especially like uh, British gins are just like very piney and kind of harsh. This one's very floral and light, uh, so a lot of martinis are like made with olives and whatnot, but this is not. Uh, this is just a citrus martini, and what uh, what would we do to make it a perfect martini is instead of uh, doing a half a shot or a quarter shot of vermouth, we do an iced vermouth rinse in the glass. Let that swirl around for a while, chill in the fridge or in the freezer, and then dump it out, but that vermouth smell uh, and aromatics kind of stays within that glass. Then you just pour the gin, uh, express some of the lemon uh, zest uh, or some of the lemon uh, oils, and then uh, garnish with lemon peel. And you've got a nice, perfect uh, gin martini that's nice and floral and light on the palate. This martini is refreshing as hell. It is perfect for a nice spring day. Yeah. And of course, it's so funny because last night we had literal tornadoes and today it feels freaking fantastic. So yeah, it's it's like what? 72 degrees outside at 930 at night. Yes, and, uh, 72 degrees and mild. That's <laughs> Texas in the springtime, y'all. Absolutely. Bipolar as hell. But it's all good. Absolutely. We're enjoying life. Talking about Zelda, drinking martinis, smoking stogies, just, you know, having a good time. Guns to be a great time. And it's all because of you wonderful people who listen to us every week, our wonderful patrons, our wonderful listeners. We I do it all for you. feel like I'm going to read off some of those names here in just a minute. I feel like you should read off some of those names in just a minute once we get through some housekeeping. Well, that sounds good to me, Matt. Let's go ahead and uh, take advantage of this wonderful segue that you just teed up for me and get right into a spot of housekeeping. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly reexamination of The Legend of Zelda one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week we play a new section of a Zelda game, then we sit down here to talk and drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. Uh, five-star reviews are also available on Spotify, and we appreciate receiving them there as well. In fact, Matt, will you hit Spotify real quick? Let us know how many five-star reviews we've... I sure will. ...accumulated over there. I should I should check in on it more often, but I just... I mean, I've checked in on it every once in a while. Last check, I think we had like 20-something. Um. So let me see what we've got... All the way up to the top, we are at uh, yeah. So I think last check we had like twenty, and right now we're at twenty-seven. So not too terribly much between last time, but uh, still twenty-seven is a good amount. Yep. Uh, every now and again, I do like to go over and look at that perfect like eighty-five five-star reviews on the uh, on the Apple, Apple Podcast. It, it does make and, me yeah. so. Collectively, we're over 100 5 five-star reviews. That's, that feels nice. Sounds like that to me. That feels nice. <laughs> <laughs> and of course our, uh, our downloads and listener numbers are going up every week. And we appreciate that so much for all of you who were here after having just caught up on the past seasons, y'all rock. Uh, we, we really love that people are able to do that. Um, our goal going into this podcast was that we would be making somewhat of like evergreen content to where, uh, people could do that. You know, there's no reason that you couldn't go back and listen to a two year old or a year old episode of Ocarina of Time, for instance. And, uh, just jump in there, especially if you uh, are, have just recently replayed it after a long gap or something. Um, yeah, th- this con- this content should be uh, applicable um, for a very long time, and we see a lot of engagement on those back episodes. So definitely a lot of new people dropping on board, and uh, we appreciate that so much more than you will ever know. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and much more. Every week, of course, we read off all of our Master Sword and Big Gorn Sword patron names here on the show as a thanks for their uh, incredible level of support um, in and uh, kind of giving us a boost monetarily, um, showing their appreciation for the show that way. Those legendary individuals, of course, our are our wow. Are. Nice. Try that again. Arr, like a Arr. <laughs> Those legendary individuals are. Leviticus, Melanie, Kolku, Rowan, Joshua, Hyrule podcasters, Ben and Pat, of course. Keep it going Uh, pod. Ben and Pat. Love Ben and Pat. Dante, Jep, Mary, Brittany, Davey, Haru the Mighty, Derek, Albert, Mark, Andy, Cameron, Tyler, Ben, Daniel, Nick, D underscore TV, Travis, Christian, Jonathan, Max, Nichols, Garrett, and Drew. We appreciate all of you so much. You've been with us for a long time. Most of the names on that list have been on board for quite a while. Um, And seriously, we appreciate that so much. Yes, you guys uh, have been the inspiration that has kept us going. When Linda and I first, you know, I think we've said this a few times, but when Linda and I first set out uh, a year ago, almost exactly, uh, to just start this journey just as a hobby, as something fun to do to get us through COVID and all the dark times that the world was going through over the last couple of years, we had no idea that we would be reaching over 700 people a week and that we would have a dedicated group of followers who engage with us not only on Patreon, but on twitter um west 3dp you are one of the most consistent uh, followers we've got and we appreciate you always tagging us in fun things uh troidal power always uh, uh there to engage on twitter like you guys really all of y'all uh, our community as a whole just inspire us to keep going and have come to uh have, have done more for us than we ever thought would come out of this podcast. Yep. I do want to drop a note real quick to all of our Big Gorn Sword patrons. By the time you're listening to this episode, it's like three weeks in the future, uh, you should have all of your cards for January, February, and March. Uh, unfortunately, right now, the manufacturing process is a little slowed down, as with many things in the World of Commerce at the moment, it's moving slower than it used to, and then it probably should. So we do hit some decently frequent delays on that end of things. And, of course, it just always tends to take me a little bit longer to crank these out than I really plan for it to um, because I'm busy, busy, busy. But uh, never you fear, all months that you have been subbed at that tier will be honored with a trading card. Of course, uh, those three are going to wrap up our past season's. Um, with uh, Link to the Past and then a a bonus one between Link to the Past and Breath of the Wild um, starting for the month of March. And for the remainder of Breath of the Wild, you're going to get lots of awesome cards for those as well. I have no shortage of Breath of the Wild art. (laughs) Um, Yeah, absolutely. There's going to be so (laughs) much good Breath of the Wild art. And man, I'm very excited for these trading cards. Yeah, I've got some really great stuff there. So can't wait to share all of that with y'all. But yeah, just, uh, uh, you know, requesting continued patience on the ship time for the trading cards. I know they take longer than y'all would like, but we're, we're really working through it. So we appreciate that very much. Absolutely. And uh, if you guys are missing any cards, or especially our patrons who are paying for those, please let us know on Patreon. Send us a message. We are happy to get those to you. Uh, things uh, I work in e-commerce and fulfillment. I know that stuff happens. USPS, UPS, FedEx, they all lose things in the mail. If you guys are missing anything, please let us know at ASAP. We don't want you to be missing out on things that you have uh, paid for. And we want you to have a good experience with uh, that. That ex- the. Uh, with those cards in general so just let us know if you're missing anything and we would be more than happy to do what we can to get those to you yep absolutely all right well without further ado matt let's get into what we played we do that every week of course in the sacred realms rundown which is a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel today we are covering breath of the wild chapter four which takes us to among other things our very first divine beast Big one. I know. I'm so excited. And the I think this is actually a different order of Divine Beasts than I've done in my other two playthroughs. I normally go Va Meadow first. So do I. So do I. And so this is kind of interesting to come at it from a different angle. Uh and so the the path we're taking is a little different. I'm very excited about yeah, it. Yeah, me as well. I think I usually do Va Meadow, Va Ruta, Va Rudania, and then Va Niboris. And the reason I do it that way is because that roughly translates to like easiest to hardest. In order, you know, uh-huh. um, but the trouble is this time around we were trying to come up with a progression path that um, that is somewhat geographically relevant to the things that are happening in the game. And the fact of the matter is I, I'm actually willing to bet. I don't know that there's numbers on this. I don't know how there could be, but I'm willing to bet that most people who play this game for the first time end up doing Varuta first just because the Lanaria region is is exactly next to Kakariko and Hateno and all that intro quest stuff that you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so yeah, I I am willing to bet most people do that one first. And for that reason, that geographical proximity to those introductory areas, um, that's the main reason that we decided to do Varuta first. And we have a yeah. we have a neat little uh a neat little path around Hyrule that we've kind of charted for this first little while. So yeah, I mean I, I think it makes sense, but definitely different than I've done it in the past. For sure. Should be a lot of fun to uh, to dig into. All right, part one of the Sacred Realms rundown is the plot recap as read by Matt, and I'm going to let him go ahead and get into it. All righty then, a little beefier than last week. The first of the Divine Beasts lies directly to the north of the town of Hateno, past the great Mount Laneru. While we are eager to get our quest to defeat Ganon underway, we have one stop to make before proceeding to the domain of the proud Zora people. When we arrive in Kakarigo to talk to Impa once more, she imparts that some of the photos Pura unlocked for us are related to important locations from our past life, and that revisiting them may help to restore some of our lost memories. We see the first of these photos faces the Great Hyrule Castle and is fairly close to it. Therefore, we head to central Hyrule to find this location and see if Impa's words ring with truth. After fighting through hordes of enemies and even some fully functional guardians which are terrifying in their ferocity, we find the location and stand facing the castle. Memory rushes back to us of an intimate ceremony between the champions, the princess, and ourselves in the center. We are kneeling before the princess as she invokes some words of charge and ritual regarding our appointment as the chosen hero. The champions around seem less than thrilled, and there is a definite tension in the air that accompanies the ceremony. As the memory concludes, we find this has indeed helped shed light on our past, and with this in mind, we head directly to the Divine Beast to begin the path again towards Ganon's downfall. Approaching Zora's Domain from the east, we come to a land covered in cloud and drenched with a seemingly endless rain. Even for an aquatic race, this rain seems torrential and potentially dangerous, but so far there is no sight of the peoples we seek. As we progress up Zora's river and find the Great Tower, we are stopped by a tall and powerful Zora who introduces himself as Prince Sidon of the Zora people. He has left his home in search of a Hylian who may be able to help his people with the issue of the Endless Reign. He asks us to progress up the path following Zora's river and meet him and his father the king in the Zora's domain so that he can further explain the plight of his people. Since this is the path to our goal, we agree and begin the perilous climb along the path. Sidon warns us that the path is filled with peril and dangerous enemies utilizing electricity. As a token of his thanks for our promised help, he gives us a shock-resistant elixir before jumping into the swift-moving river and swimming upstream. The path is every bit as perilous as Sidon said, and there were scores of enemies that seek to bar our passage forward. Luckily, we are a fiercer warrior than any that these bokoblins and lazulfos have seen, and smash our way through their defenses in our relentless push up the cliffside. Sidon occasionally gives us encouragement from the river, but the push to Zora's domain is for us to fight alone. Along the way, we see ritual stones and markers that detail some of the history of this proud race, and these help to inform us of the king and the people we are promised to help. After a grueling slog up the cliffside path, we come to a gorgeous, watery domain. It is dominated by silver gilding, luminous lights, and in the entryway, a beautifully detailed sculpture of a Zora female. This statue is dedicated to Princess Mifa, the champion of the Zora people. Her kind and beautiful face is familiar to us, even beyond the memory that we unlocked recently in Hyrule Field. She feels special somehow. But we aren't here to reminisce, so we head up the stairs to the chambers of the king. There we find Sidon and the king's advisor arguing about whether outside help is needed. The advisor, Muzu, is adamantly opposed to Hylian help, but Sidon insists that our help is the only thing that can solve their problem. Upon meeting us, King Dorafan notices the Sheikah Slate upon our hip, and even recognizes us as the chosen hero from 100 years ago. After explaining about our slumber in the Shrine of Resurrection and the subsequent memory loss, Muzu storms out of the throne room, claiming that we are not only unworthy to bear the title of champion, but that we are directly responsible for the Princess Mipha's demise 100 years ago. Once Muzu leaves, King Dorofan accepts our offer of help and gives us the Zora armor to help us scale waterfalls and thus tame the great divine beast that is showering their domain in the endless rain that so plagues the Zora people. For it is indeed Varuta that is the source of this endless deluge, and if it is not stopped, the whole of Hyrule could be flooded from the overflow of the great river." Leaving the king's chambers, we head back down to where the statue of Mipha lays, and there we find Sidon and the king's advisor once again arguing. Sidon is more adamant than ever that we are the only one who can tame Varuta, and points to the Zora armor that we have put on, which fits us as if it were made for us. And as it turns out, it was indeed made exactly for us, by hand, by the princess Mipha. At the revelation that this was made as a token of her great affections, traditionally the princess would make this armor for her chosen mate, we look once again upon the likeness of the Zora princess and memories of her rush to us. The memory is of sitting atop the great divine beast Varuta with with Mipha while she uses her amazing healing powers to close battle wounds. She relates that she has felt an amazing closeness with us as we grew up together and that no matter what, she will always be with us to heal our wounds and encourage us in the fight. This tender moment breathes recognition of the likeness before us and steals our resolve to help her people in any way we can. We therefore go to meet Sidon at the Great Reservoir, where Varuta currently lays submerged, and Sidon tells us his plan. We're going to hop on Sidon's back while he swims us close enough to Varuta to go up the great waterfalls that it is casting from its side and shoot the activation nodules located on its back. We will need shock arrows for this, which is why no Zora is able to do it. While he swims us close to the Divine Beast, we will have to protect him and ourselves from whatever defenses Ruta will throw at us. Agreeing to this plan, we climb on our new friend's back and head into battle. Getting close to Ruta is a challenge in and of itself, as the great mechanical beast throws frozen blocks and spiked balls at us constantly. But in between these barrages, Sidon is able to get us close enough to swim up and do what needs to be done. There are four nodules to activate, and with each one we hit with an electrified arrow, Ruta redoubles its effort to stop us. But eventually we deactivate its external defenses and are able to board the divine beast. Within the divine beast's body we find tendrils of calamity that infest the beast and spew skeleton enemies at us at every turn. The voice of our departed friend Mifa comes to us and seems glad to have some company after 100 long years spent as a spirit in this place. She informs us that we first must download a map of the Divine Beast to our Sheikah Slate, and once done, we realize that in order to gain control of the massive machine, we are required to activate five control consoles which are spread throughout the interior. Using the knowledge we've gleaned by overcoming shrines, we set out to solve this immense puzzle. We are helped on our way not only by our trusty set of runes, but also by the ability to raise and lower va Ruta's massive water-spewing trunk, which allows us to access areas by changing the direction of water wheels and dousing pillars of fire. After all five consoles are active, we head to the main control unit of va Ruta, but as we, she- as we set our Shika Slate upon the main console, we are engulfed in a cloud of Malice energy, which appears as a massive monster. The voice of Mifa comes to us again and says that this is Waterblight Ganon, a manifestation of Calamity Ganon's malice, which ended her life 100 years ago. A fierce battle commences in which Waterblight Ganon pelts us with volleys of ice crystals, as well as, as well as swift strikes from its deadly spear. We emerge victorious from this fight, and after successfully activating the control console, we are greeted by the ghostly form of Mifa, who thanks us for our help in putting her spirit to rest. She laments the impossibility of sharing a life with Link, but vows to help us by sharing her magical healing technique, Mifa's grace. With this all said, Mifa summons a beam of light which warps us out of the Divine Beast and back to the chambers of King Dorophon. The king is most grateful for our help in aiding Mifa's spirit and in stopping the endless fall of rain. He gifts us with Mifa's most favorite tool, the light-scale trident, and bids us to wield it in her memory. Meanwhile, Mifa's spirit is able to take control of Va-Ruta after 100 years, and uses her piloting skills as the Zora Champion to bring Ruta high atop a nearby spring. From here, Ruta is able to take aim at Hyrule Castle, awaiting the moment that it can join the other three Divine Beasts in launching its final assault on Ganon. This has been the plot recap as read by Matt. Let's go ahead and get into part 2, which is our takes but before we do that i don't think i've ever had to do this in the history of of you writing plot recaps matt but i think you missed one of the most important parts of this chunk oh my gosh what, what did i miss you missed uh king dorfin sending us up shatterback point to face the lionel and get the electric arrows so i i thought about including that in there but it is technically optional because it is possible to have electric arrows at this point hmm. without having to fight the Lionel, So I was kind of treating that as more of a side quest. I, uh, man, it's a gray area for sure. We'll get into this. Because like I, uh, I yeah. going into this section, I had over 50 electric arrows, so I didn't yeah. need to do it. No, I did yeah, it yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, but like sure, I sure, didn't sure, need sure. to. I mean, my my thing about it is, okay, sure, let's just get into part two, which is our text. Um Let's go ahead and start with the Lynel. The way that this works is that, The Zora King sends you up to fight this Lynel and collect enough shock arrows to then be able to get into Varuta. Of course, like Matt mentioned, it's entirely possible that you have enough um, electric arrows to where you don't need to do that. Because you you get electric arrows from your climb up Zora's River. Right. Yes, absolutely. The thing is that the the case has been made by people that – some of the main some of like the major recurring enemies in this game that are not actual bosses are harder than the boss fights and I think the Lynels especially silver or white Lynels are like incredibly hard yeah the Lynels are definitely like I mean if you're looking for the peak of testing the combat skills of this game against an enemy then i don't think you do that fight a lionel (laughs) yeah you you don't do that in the boss fights in the divine beasts like they're fun and they're difficult in their own way but like i don't think they require a full mastery of techniques like shield bashes or shield parries and um you know and uh, perfect timing strikes and stuff the same way that a lionel fight does disagree on one point or, or in, in one instance, which I guess you could say is the exception that proves the rule, um, Thunderblight Ganon is absolutely the hardest enemy in this game, in that's, my opinion. That's a fair point, and we'll get to him at another well, Obviously time. much later, but, but, but yeah, the, it, the point stands that – I so sure, you can't accurately call Lionel's bosses because you can just like run into them while free-roaming the world. But this one Lionel, this is the one where it's like the game is basically funneling you. Purposefully into your first experience with a Lionel. Like the game is intending for you to fight a Lionel for the first time on Shatterback Point. And um, I don't know. I think for that reason, it deserves to be included as a part of the main story of this section of the game. Um, if for no other reason, then I think that, you know, most people do it. You know, I, I think most people end up going to fight that Lionel and getting their electric arrows there just because King Dorophon kind of like presents that to you as the next step before you go to varuta you know fun fact the first time i beat varuta i did not do that really it was it was my second to last divine beast uh or no yeah i think it was my second to last divine beast and i had like over 100 shock arrows and i was like i don't need to do that and i'd already fought a bunch of Lionels. so i was like eh, nah. so that's fair uh it is kind of fun because this is like even though it is technically just wandering the overworld, Shatterback Point does sort of exist as like a boss layer for this mm-hmm. one Lionel. You know, yeah, it does because you have to use the Zora armor. I mean, you don't have to, but it's the easiest way to get up there. Use the Zora armor which you just received from King Dorfin. Swim up a bunch of waterfalls, which is uh, really cool animation, by the way. And then uh, fight. And this Lionel is always a red Lionel the first time you fight it. Well, it was a blue one for me because yeah, but you're in master master mode. mode. But like yeah, right. in, in non master mode, it's always a red Lionel, no matter if you have beaten silver and white lynels yes that's true that's true although when you come back here later it will it will upgrade yeah yeah. it'll upgrade i wonder if after blood moons the shock arrows that are stuck in trees and stuff up here well that would be kind of fun regen like because those are great for fishing yeah i wonder if this is just like your ultimate shock arrow farm after every blood moon that that'd be a good thing to check in on after the next one in game i'll 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 try to remember to do that and i'll i'll give us an update on that later but anyway yeah so yes I, I think it's a gray area whether or not the Lionel fight is necessarily a part of the narrative uh of the plot as we've kind of laid it yeah. out here. But I mean basically I chose to include the uh the, the beginning of the memory quest in lieu of that. Like I'm trying to not get us to skyward that's, that's sword fair. level plot recaps, that's you fair. know what I mean? Like and I, I did, again, seriously consider adding it in there. It would have been more of a line of, like, the King King Dorfan encourages us to go slay the the beast atop Shatterback Point, which has, uh, you know, been plaguing us people with shock arrows and, yep. you know, it would have been, it wouldn't have been long. It would have been three or four sentences. But, Definitely. Um, yeah, so I thought about it, decided against it, thought of it more as a bloopy trail mm-hmm. kind of inclusion, Yeah, personally. So let's talk more generally about this section of the game. I think this is a really interesting one because the journey to get from Lanayru Tower to Zora's Domain is such like a... It's such a combat gauntlet that funnels you through one very specific part of the map. Um, I think the approaches to the other main towns that we visit later, you know, Rito Village and uh, Giryudo Town and all of all of those, you can kind of get to them in almost any way that you choose. There are multiple paths to get to those areas. But with this one, the fact that Laneru region is doused uh constantly in rain until you until you beat Varuda. you ain't climbing those walls yeah you like it's i'm sure that there are ways to get to zora's domain like from a backside you know like i'm sure it can be done but i don't think most people are going to it would be incredibly difficult just because yeah it's constantly raining and you can't climb the cliffs so i mean theoretically you could go from the zora tower you could go north th- Like and skirt Death Mountain and then go east towards Akala and approach it from the backside and then just like parachute down. But, but, but even the back, even if you do that, so the backside, um, so Akala region is bordered on its north end, its northeast end by upland Zorana, right? Which is right behind the southeast end. Akala is, Akala is north of Zora. Right. So, so, so yeah. it's, it's, Akala, Akala borders laneru region to the north. It's Akala is north. Right. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. So if you were to try and do that, you would be coming to. You would. You would have to scale the north side of those mountains. Yes. The here. trouble is that as you climb up those mountains, the rain is still there. Like the the rain cover. Because I, I actually tested this. I walked to the very edge of Upland Zorana over around by Shatterback Point, yeah. and I was looking straight at the Akala Citadel. And the rain was constant even over there. Okay. Like So I don't think you could actually climb those cliffs and successfully get up to the top of Upland Zorana. I, again, I'm not saying that it's not possible. I'm just saying that this game makes it very hard to do. And for that reason, the most direct route... Is definitely to just go through that combat gauntlet. Yeah, that combat gauntlet that that takes you up Zora's River to Zora's Domain, and it, it's really fun because that's not a thing that this game does very often. And of course, uh, of course, Breath of the Wild wields its greatest, um, its, <laughs> uh, its, uh, its greatest weapon against us, which is rain. <laughs> Seriously, though, like rain and strong headwinds are, uh, and swimming in general, yeah. are uh, the greatest. Uh, <laughs> (laughs) Environmental weapons that Breath of the Wild has in general. Like there is nothing worse than trying to paraglide from a high point to get to a location, and the wind just switches directions on you and just blows right against you, and you're basically at a standstill on your paraglider doing nothing. Yeah, that is the worst. But I I will say that I think that the entire journey, if you do this the way that we did, and we'll actually we'll document our path. We'll we'll run down our worksheet here in just a second and let you know what we did. But the the entire way that you get to Zora's domain, or that I think most people get to Zora's domain. Is really fun because it basically takes you through the Lanayru wetlands mm-hmm. up to Lanayru tower and then you just have to head up Zora's river and fight all those enemies and it, it creates just a very uh, combatively challenging Part of this game. I just think it's so fascinating that the entire map of Breath of the Wild is designed in such a way that you can traverse it in any way that you want. But it found this one specific way to really funnel you into the to the the experience that it wanted you to have to get to Zora's domain. And I think that's something we've talked about over the last couple of episodes is the the aggressive signposting. It's not (laughs) forcing you in a direction necessarily. But it's an aggressive form of signposting that the game is really guiding you along some general rails uh, to where it wants you to go, especially in this early portion of the game. And I do think that it's that it was entirely the intention of the game designers for Varuta to be your first divine beast. Just think about not only the signposting that you get from Hateno, Kakariko, all of that. You're very segmented in the southeastern portion of the map at the beginning of the game um, just based on you know where these things are taking you. You get the quest, free the Divine Beasts, and the first one is immediately to your north, like very reachable, right? It's The other ones are like even further north and then so far to the west that it's like, man, I'm going to have to traverse the whole map. So like I think it's very aggressively pointing you to Varuta being the first one you'd use. And also uh, it is the power or the champion ability that is... That helps you the most if you are a novice player, right? Like, if you're dying a lot in combat, Mifa's Grace is just an absolute get-out-of-jail-free card. It's a better version of a fairy. So, like, I think that they're pointing you directly at Varuta for that reason. Not only is it geographically the closest, but its ability is the most helpful to new players and to make the, to make the whole... Experience somewhat less frustrating if you find yourself dying a lot. I would argue that um, Rivali's Gale is actually the most generally useful. No, ability I, I think you it's the from. most useful, but I think I think Mifa's Grace is a I don't want to say handicap, but it's 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 there to help. No, I get you. I get you. It's, it's there to help players that might find it frustrating to be dying a lot when they're not wanting to yeah definitely no you're right you're right i think that that's a fair observation um real quick matt let's run down our worksheets real fast i'm gonna go first so here's a, a few quick facts about this section of the game episode four of breath of the wild our starting and ending points were we started in Hateno village and ended in the king's chamber of zora's domain after beating varuta The route that I took was I warped to Kakariko from Hiteno in order to speak to Impa and fulfill the the first part of the Locked Mementos quest. I left Kakariko on foot towards Hyrule Castle and – no. I left Kakariko on foot towards central Hyrule and activated the central Hyrule Tower. I glided to the Sacred Grounds and then warped back to Kakariko to get the Champion's Tunic after getting the memory there. I glided from the Pillars of Levius down to Lineru Wetlands, and I met Cass at the stable. I proceeded through the wetlands from the stable on foot towards Lineru Tower and then met uh, up with Sidon and proceeded up Zora's River to Zora's Domain. I swam up waterfalls from Zora's Domain into Upland Zorana and scaled the hills towards Shatterback Point. Then I glided down to the Zora Reservoir and entered Varuta. Uh, my shrine count at the end of this section of game was 20 shrines. Towers activated were the central Hyrule Tower and Linneru Towers. Uh, Matt, what do you have? So, I followed almost exactly the same path. I did go back to Kakariko to start the memories quest as well. But instead of going on foot from Kakariko to, Hi- to central Hyrule, I actually warped back to the Great Plateau and I visited the Temple of Time to uh, get myself another stamina wheel. Nice. Uh, and then I went to, I went. From the Great Plateau Tower and gl- paraglided down to central Hyrule to- towards the tower. Uh, didn't g- get quite all the way there, so fought some uh, Guardians. I did some Guardian farming in this section, which was a lot of fun because uh, I had some Guardian++ weapons. So I was yeah. like, you know, chopping off their legs and stuff. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so I did that uh, and then I went east from Hyrule I did go to Wetland Stable I only activated the shrine I didn't do anything else I didn't talk to Cass uh, which I forgot that Cass was there to be 100% honest so that's gonna be my first stop on the way back um so I activated the shrine at Wetlands Stable, uh, went up to Lanayru Wetlands to Shairata Shrine, the Speed of Light, uh, just so I could have an easy uh, warp point there within the Lanayru Wetlands. I know there's a lot of other shrines that are in the Wetlands that I want to come back and visit. Mm-hmm. Um, then I went uh, further east and a little bit south to uh, the Zora Tower, um, obviously fought my way up uh, that combat gauntlet. I did go up to Shatterback Point uh, and killed the Lionel. uh, went back down and into the reservoir to fight Baruta. Um, and actually in between that, I visited, uh, I saw a shrine and I, I sometimes get very distracted. So I saw a shrine off to the South of Zora's domain. As I was climbing, as I peaked one of those Hills, I like was looking around and saw a shrine over to the South. Yeah. Uh, almost, uh, a little bit South of the Lanayru spring, Um, on, it's called like the Samasa Plain and it's the Ruko Mag Shrine, the five flames. Uh, So I went down there and did that one. Gotcha. And then, uh, you know, climbed back up, uh, over to, uh, actually warped back to, uh, the Neyes Yama Shrine, which is in Zora's Domain. Yeah. And from there I went up to, uh, the Reservoir Lake. Cool. How many shrines at the end of this play for you? Uh, 20 as well. So we, I swear we're not doing this on purpose. We're actually doing different <laughs> shrines, so yeah. you know we're not doing it on purpose. But I do have uh, the same amount of shrines, and I did activate the Central Hyrule Tower and the Zora's Domain uh, Tower. Cool. Gotcha. So basically, I mean, at, at this point, we are taking a lot more advantage of warping than we were at, at earlier points of the game. Um, for sure. I I try not to do it any more than I really need to. Like, I am trying to go around and spend more time in the overworld um, wherever it's available. But there are some times where, especially, like, the journey from Hateno to Kakariko, you know, I I mean, in order to get there on foot, you really – it's kind of out of the way. You've either got to go around – uh Lanayru, uh Mount Leneiru, which is kind of a, a huge frozen area, Um, you know, you've got to go scale some sheer cliffs and then kind of come to it from the Leneiru promenade. Like it's, it's really out of the way. And especially just to get that memories quest going, I didn't feel like taking all that time For out. Sure. Um, <laughs> and you know, w- one of my things is I utilize warping as a point to more, efficiently explore the overworld like I'll warp to towers and just like paraglide to different locations and kind of scout around to see what I see uh, I like to when I activate a new tower one of my favorite things is to like just look as everywhere that I can from that vantage point and try to ping as many shrines as I can visually see yeah and from there I will like try to paraglide to them and then once I like hit all the obvious ones that's when I'll start like exploring the nooks and crannies right yeah Gotcha. So let's go ahead and talk about the the main thrust of this section. Thrust. That's a that's a interesting uh an adjective there. Well, I mean, yes, but I feel like it's appropriate because we are uh, we are thrusting you know forward into the combat gauntlet that is Zora's River. Um, you know, we've talked about it a lot, but how did you feel about this whole section? Because it really does actually take quite a while to get through. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know me. You know, I love a good combat gauntlet. Um, I think. Breath of the Wilds has so many strong points. Its combat system is so fluid and fun. Like, outside of dirt weapon and item durability, which everyone knows how I feel about that, uh, I genuinely love engaging in combat in Breath of the Wild. Like, I actually seek out combat in Breath of the Wild on not Master Mode. I don't do it on Master Mode because it's more of a pain, but. Um, on normal mode i love just like getting in fights with any goblin i see it's like i'm just gonna shoot it in the face or i'm gonna go stab it a bunch of times like i i really really like it especially now that i've gotten a lot more proficient at the uh, perfect dodges and the perfect parries um i really really enjoy it so this section of the game was a lot of fun for me i think the one thing that was uh, a little bit challenging was that one area where you come to where it's a bunch of lizalfos and there's like five that are shooting electric arrows and there's also a bunch of puddles around that you may not necessarily notice Yep. and if they shoot the puddle it like spits spits the big electric field around you and makes you drop your weapons like that one was uh, probably the most difficult of the sections yeah i know the exact area that you're talking about matt and i do think it's fun because electricity and the dynamics that it has on you and your gear and then also the way it interacts with water is one of the most challenging combat tools that this game has in its portfolio right Mm -hmm. electricity is just very dangerous very hard to counter yep it takes up a lot of hearts like if and and you drop your weapons which then you got to like find them sometimes yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to look around and find the stuff that you dropped you do have to be aware of the fact that like if you're standing in water then yeah you're pretty hosed even if the even if it misses you yeah Yeah, you're done. Yeah, so I do know that part pretty well. I actually made it through that without too much trouble this time around because I was doing a lot of – crouch walking and sniping with arrows. Mm-hmm. Um, so, a lot of those electric Lizalfos, I, I was kind of one-shotting, um, sniping from a, from a yeah. distance, you know, and mm-hmm. then kind of going in and picking up all their shock arrows that they dropped. But it does take a lot of, like, very intentional placement within that area. Yep. Um, you can't just bull rush right into that. Otherwise, five Lizalfos with shock arrows are, are gonna, gonna... eat your lunch. Yeah, they're gonna light you up immediately. <clears throat> Especially when, like, both of us, were still at three hearts at this point in the game. Um, And, yep. I, like... I know that I uh, ate a meal that gave me extra hearts, just because I knew that one shot of electricity arrows, even on normal mode, I don't think it kills you on normal, but it like gets you down to one heart. It, uh, um, I think it, it depends on what gear that you're wearing, but I think it m- most definitely can. Yeah, I, I, I never got, I mean, I've been wearing the knight's armor, so the extra defense rating is very helpful, but, um, obviously also conducts electricity, and there is a point where you are in danger of getting shocked by lightning, uh, in this trek, uh, eastward. You know, the weird thing is, I don't actually think, so, I think we've mentioned this before, but if you're wearing, like, if you have metal weapons or shields or bows equipped, during a thunderstorm. But the armor doesn't. The armor, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, weirdly. Yeah, yeah, the lightning will absolutely home in on you during a thunderstorm until you equip stuff that's not made of metal. But wearing the full plate armor doesn't do that. It's really weird. But I guess that would be a little bit too much of a pain in the ass. If- yeah, that would be kind of difficult, I guess. I don't, I'm not sure what the design choice was there. Maybe just allowing you to wear what you want when you want. But um no, it was it was good. So I'm curious, since you're playing on master mode, what I did going into this section and I, d- I do what I can to follow your rule of like not eating meals in middle of fights. Right. Like I don't restrict myself entirely. But and, I, like, and I've kept to that, by the way. Yeah, I don't restrict myself, reti- restrict myself entirely to that. But it is more fun that way. So like I, I don't just like sit there and munch a bunch of apples like if I don't feel like I am an uh, imminent danger of dying. Um, and I like, even if I'm at like one heart and I'm fighting an enemy that I know that I am confident in my ability to defeat. Right. Like, yeah, then I will not do that until after the fight. But I'm curious what your strategy was here getting through this, because for me, I ate a meal that gave me like plus 12 hearts. Um, thank God for, you know, uh, hearty truffles and uh, radishes. Yes. Uh, and, so I got that and then I drank uh, the uh, Electro Elixir that um, Sidon gives you yeah. before I started my trek up. So I know that on Master Mode, shooting a Lazalthos in the face one time won't kill it. So, did you use like a plus? Well, sometimes sometimes it will, but I didn't have any bows that were powerful enough to do that, really. So, did you did you ins- did you forego the electric elixir and go with a plus attack? No. So, what I did here is I also cooked myself a big hearty radish meal and went into this with a lot of extra hearts. Um, uh, in addition to that, what I did a lot of was I would take advantage of like height. So, if I could like get above a lot of these enemies, then I would hit my paraglider real quick and then use my um my oh, the, arrow time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Um my slow arrow time to get a quick two shots off on on faces. And that was a big help. Um uh, in general in this area what I was trying to do a lot of was to isolate enemies as much as possible and take them down one at a time what was really helpful was I actually faced a few whiz robes in the Zora or in the uh, Leneiru wetlands yep. on my approach to Leneiru tower because um, there are a lot that are down there in the ruins of like the swamp towns mm-hmm. and they're holding um, lightning rods yeah lightning rods and so I took a lightning rod into this with me and was kind of using that as much as possible to disarm enemies and then kind of Yeah, no, that, that's actually a really good strategy. I. I'm mostly, I was trying to limit my engagement to two or three at a time. Um, I, using the Fierce Deities Mask gives you a plus attack intrinsically. Um, And so I was really utilizing that a lot with like uh, Claymores and stuff to where I would let a couple Lazolfos kind of get close. And they always do this fun thing. Bokoblins are worse about this. Lizalfos will kind of dodge away from you, but like Bokoblins and Moblins have a long like charge up time for some of their attacks on normal mode. So I was able to just like start my swing and just like would hit them a couple times and get them uh, you know, either stagger them off of me and then be able to finish them off one by one. But in the section with all the snipers, I did a lot of uh, you know, kill an enemy and then kind of crouch, walk around, snipe him in the face. And then I-, I had some like 26 power bows from uh, some of the uh, Amiibos that I was have been using to try to get some of the unique armor. So I had like yeah. a 26 power knight's bow and I had uh, a couple knight's broadswords. So uh, utilizing those higher power weapons has, was really helpful uh, getting through some of those more challenging uh, combat uh, segments. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I do think uh, yeah, that is probably the smartest way to go about this. As you progress through Zora's River, I, I would say that the combat gets a little bit less challenging. I mean, once you get through the main um, cluster of Shock Arrow Lazalthos, it, yeah, it does get a little bit easier. There's a fight with a big old moblin on a bridge that you have to do. That was really cool, though, yeah. because like you're talking to Sidon and he's like, look out behind you, hero. And you're like, oh, I'm getting rushed by a, in my case, it was a black but Moblin, yeah. So I'm sure it was probably same or higher for you. Yeah, it was a it was a brown one, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe it was blue. I get those kind of mixed up. Yeah, sometimes. But anyway, it was it was a pretty beefy dude. Yeah, but yeah. So some good combat to be had there. Um, I I do really love this whole environment. So it's pretty distinct from other areas of Hyrule, just because it's got a lot of um like on land coral <laughs> for one thing. Like yeah, which is kind of odd. The flora <laughs> is really interesting here. Um, but also. As you get closer to Zora's Domain, the rock has got a lot of like iridescent quality Mm -hmm. that feeds into the lore of Zora's Domain. They like, once you get there, you can talk to some NPCs and they'll tell you that they built Zora's Domain there because the cliffs around it are are like lush with luminous stones mm-hmm. and that's what Zoro's domain They're is like made out of a luminous stone yeah yeah so it's really cool because you can kind of like see that in the rock as you go down um so I really like this environment quite a lot and yeah it, it was a really fun um area of combat in which you you really have to take your time uh you got to be smart about it if you don't want to like die a whole ton you know Um, And yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it for that reason. So we come down to Zora's Domain, and this is a really cool environment, right? Yeah, it is. And I want to say one more thing about just the path up. I... I the first couple times I played this, I like noticed the ritual stones that like detailed some of the history of the Zora, but didn't really pay too much attention. This time I tried actively to find as many as I could. And some of them are really cool stories. Like there's the one, there's the one stone that tells you about the story of King Dorafan, literally like lifting up a fully active malice infused guardian and throwing it off a cliffside. Yeah. Like, dude is a badass. That is awesome. I think that didn't, doesn't it say that's how he gets the scar, the scar on his, on his, face? his forehead? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, like, Dude, that is crazy cool. Yeah, some of the other ones in there will explain, like, the history of the sage Ruto, who we, of course, know from Ocarina, Ocarina of Time. Ocarina um, And who is the namesake of Varuta, the divine beast. Yep. So, I, those are really cool. And, like, to your point, this is one of the most – I think all – Not all, but a lot of the areas within Breath of the Wild are very unique in their tone and in their setting. Um, But Zoro's Domain, I think, is one of the most unique just from it's very silver and blue and, like you said, iridescent and luminous. And it it very is – it feels very distinct. You know immediately when you're in – a, a realm that is even remotely related to Zora, to the Zora people, like it's really yeah. cool. I, I like it a lot. Yeah, definitely. Um, I love the classic Zora's domain soundtrack here. Yes, it's like yeah, it's, one of the best parts. Yeah, it's a Breath of the Wild glow up of the one that you hear for the first time in Ocarina of Time. Um, it's a really cool piece of music, and yeah, I don't know. It's just it sounds very fun and aquatic and relaxing. Yeah. Yeah, that's no, great. Yeah, it's love. awesome. I also love that this version of Zora's Domain, like we've mentioned before, that there are fun similarities in the map layout of this game versus others. And I love that this version of Zora's Domain is, for the most part, located in the same area of the map as it is in Ocarina of Time. Yep. like southeast of uh, Death Mountain. And then, you know, even like the the way that the King's Chamber is laid out as being like above Everything else and water like a waterfall is cascading from the king's chambers down to the rest of Zora's domain. Like yeah. I think that's pretty cool. Like you really do get the impression that thousands of years after Ocarina of Time, Zora's domain is in the same place. They just spent all that time like you know, mining Making it pretty yeah, mining <laughs> luminous stones and like uh, you know, expanding on the on the main Uh, buildings that are a part of it yeah and you could even like make the case that uh the waterfall directly behind zora's domain that leads up to shatterback point maybe was jabu jabu's little uh, pond that he had at one point in time so i I think it's a really cool parallel that you've got going on it does make me wonder if the zora great spring that varuta ends up parked in is where jabu jabu was headcanon Ocarina of Time. Head cannon. Head cannon. I'm calling it here. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. No, I, I love that one. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, we get to Zora's Domain. We meet We meet a lot of interesting characters here. I mm-hmm. don't want to lead Z-targeting too much, but, you know, Sidon, King Dorofan, they're all great. Um, Muzu, the advisor, has got a lot of yeah, beef with Grumpity. Yeah. Grumpity old man. But I think for pretty good reasons, right? Like, for sure. Like, he in in a very real way. So apparently Zoras are very long lived, which is cool. Um so like they Sidon is at least 110 ish. Well because we see baby Sidon in some of the Champions Ballad cutscenes. Right. So, so like he's been alive for the last 100 years. King Dorophan obviously has been around for more a lot more than a hundred years presumably Yeah. Um. so like obviously Zora are very long lives which means they have long memories and you can really get the sense more than you get from any Hylian because Hylians obviously have generally the same lifespan as most humans so they they don't remember the calamity as like I lived through that it's uh, oh yeah my, my granddad was like that was around when that happened and oh those stories are crazy but like these Zora especially the older ones like Muzu lived through it and remember Mifa, their princess who they apparently just adore uh, obviously she was their champion and like they remember the the bitterness of defeat at the hands of the calamity and they they blame link very poignantly for that because in their minds and really Rightfully so. It was Link's responsibility and Zelda's to defeat the Calamity before this all happened. So like they are they are living the memory of his failure, which, you know, luckily because of our memory loss, we don't have that memory of the bitter defeat yet. But like it's it's very uh, it's a very shocking moment for Link beyond The things that he's experienced with, uh, you know, his fellow Hylians who don't remember him at all or the ones that do remember him still revere him, you know, Impa and Pura and the Sheikah tribe in general. But these Zora are bitter and angry at him. And it's like, wow, that's a that's a very different uh, vibe. From these people, yeah. Let's talk a little plot real quick, um, because we get a lot of interesting shades uh, or a lot of interesting layers to Link's story here, especially as it relates to his relationship to Mifa, who I think mm. we're led to believe he was the closest to among all the champions. Yeah, for sure. I think it's interesting in in the memory flashback, as I mentioned in the plot recap. You know, she talked about growing up together and like Link being a Hylian. grew up faster and she he aged differently and Mipha was always a little bit jealous of that but there's definitely the implication that like they spent a lot of time together and I think it's another interesting parallel to Ocarina of Time Link where Ruto gave him the Zora spiritual stone of water as an engagement ring, basically. And apparently Mipha has done the same thing, has made him handcrafted him this Zora armor as a tribute of I choose you to be like my life partner. Oh, that's a great callback. And I mean, it is really cool because we spend a lot of time talking about the various incarnations of Link and what their romantic attachments are to like Zelda and other characters. And I don't think we have any, um, I don't think we have any evidence here really to say that Link viewed Mipha in an explicitly romantic way. Yeah. I don't think there's anything that would indicate that that was a mutual agreement to, you know, be married or, or life partners or whatever you would But say But that. very clearly Mipha had romantic feelings for Link. Oh, very clearly. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, and I think we said in our Ocarina of Time season, lots of lots of ladies be horny for Link, and I think that that uh, holds true for <laughs> right. Breath of the Wild Link as well. Which yeah, is no, kind of fun. Yeah, absolutely. It is a really fun little bit of uh, of lore whenever you do get the Zora's armor, and it's explained in cutscenes, like. I forget if it's Sidon or King Dorfin. I think it's Sidon. It's Sidon. Yeah, who like Muzu just does not want to help you, but you're wearing the Zora armor, and Sidon's like, "Look, he's wearing this armor. We know that Mifa made this armor for the man she wanted to marry, and it fits Link perfectly, right?" Yeah. So all of that is really cool stuff. I do like how King Dorafan of of all the Zoras is kind of a little bit more positively disposed towards Link. Yeah, um, which you would think would be the opposite of the truth because his daughter died in the line of duty, basically serving Link and the princess. Like yeah. you would think he'd be the most bitter and Sidon as well. But both of them are like, no, I remember what Link represents, and like I'm still on board with the chosen hero and the and the legend of. What all of this means like that's really cool that they still hold. I don't want to say the faith, but like they still hold that respect yeah. for what Link and Zelda represent. Yeah, definitely agree. So a lot of really great uh, lore building here, a lot of building the story of Link, the champion that he was, um, and then fulfilling on a lot of those plot threads as we go into the Divine Beast and we actually come face to face with the spirit of Mipha. Um, Let's go ahead and get into part three, which is the dungeon map slash shrine diving and of course this week it is the dungeon map again it's it's uh, i don't know if you can technically call it a dungeon it's (laughs) not a dungeon yeah okay cool but regardless it's more of a dungeon than your average shrine that is of course varuta the first divine beast that we've encountered um matt i so you've obviously got very strong feelings about the dungeon situation in breath of the wild um Obviously, we're supposed to accept Divine Beasts as substitutes for those, and I know that you don't consider them to be the equal of the traditional Zelda dungeon experience, but I would like for you to go ahead and give me your thoughts on Divine Beasts as a thing. So, if I were to remove my preconceptions of Zelda games and uh, dungeons as a whole, I would say that they are fairly successful in doing what I believe they were designed to do, which is to take your experience from shrines in general that you have experienced so far in the game and then like combining them on top of each other, throwing a little bit of extra something in there and then like setting you on a path to try to figure it out. Basically like shrines on steroids. I think they do that well. They are are very much shrines on steroids. And I appreciate that for what it is. Um, But I also cannot remove myself as a player of other Zelda games and as a content creator for Zelda in general from the experience that has been laid out for us in every Zelda game since Link to the Past, which is a more traditional dungeon setting. And in that frame, I, I really believe that Divine Beasts fall short of that mark of giving us that experience of a a contained, challenging, unique uh, dungeon puzzle-solving, combat-heavy uh, arena. and I, I, And I know that not all dungeons are combat-heavy, and I know that not all dungeons are puzzle-heavy, but all dungeons in general have elements of both, or at least heavy elements of one, and I don't think that Divine Beasts fit either of those mold in a strong, either of those uh, mold is the wrong word, either of those qualifications. Criteria. Criteria, thank you, in a strong sense. So, while I appreciate them for what they do within the scheme of Breath of the Wild and what they're trying to do with breaking away from that, maybe they're trying to break away from the more dungeon centric uh, formula, I I don't think that it made for, I think the game would have been better served for these to be heavier dungeons. Yeah. Um, I think I, I mostly agree with you. I do enjoy them. I think that they're well executed. I think that they are excellent little puzzle boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, especially in terms of like the mechanics of a divine beast, each one has a, a defining mechanic mm-hmm. that you're able to affect via your Sheikah Slate after you download its map. Yep. Um, with this one, it's your ability to reposition the trunk because Varuta is a huge elephant. Yeah, so you Which can, is cool. Yeah, which is cool. So you can reposition the angle of the trunk and you can spray water in different parts of the Divine Beast and you can use that to do puzzle solving. And I think that it, that is cool and that is fun. I still don't think that I enjoy any one Divine Beast as much as I do, say, like the Forest Temple or whatever, right? For sure. But I do think that they are fun additions to this world. They're a very specifically fun addition to Breath of the Wild. And I, I enjoy tackling them. I never tend to spend as much time in them as I do dungeons. Like, yeah. maybe that's one of the reasons that I feel like they're a little bit more disappointing is just because they feel briefer and it feels like you can really tackle them um, a lot easier than you can a dungeon dungeon in another Zelda game. Uh, Varuta I think, is certainly not the easiest Divine Beast. It's also not the hardest. Um, What do you think is the easiest? Va Meadow. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I I agree with that. Yeah. Um, So this one is definitely, uh, you know, you you, you do have to, um, you do have to spend a little bit of thought and energy in trying to figure out some of these puzzles. Um, you know, changing the directions of water wheels so that you can get to the uh, control console that's like in the middle of the wheel and stuff like that is really fun. There's a really cool sense of scale when you uh, when you have to hit up the control console that's on the actual trunk of Varuta, you know? And you have to yeah. like, you have to glide down to the tip of the trunk. And I think that is really cool because it does make this thing feel very massive in the world. This is definitely the biggest feeling, Divine Beast. I think it actually is the largest by like square footage uh, or cubic footage. I guess a divine beast that that feels right off the top of my head yeah I mean elephant generally being a very large animal uh, like it it is definitely I I think you're absolutely right each divine beast having its own unique uh, form of manipulation in order to serve as its puzzle box mechanic is really, really cool. And the fact that you can manipulate that via your Sheikah Slate is a really fun addition that, you know, you obviously couldn't get in any other Zelda game. You know, I think one of the biggest issues with Divine Beasts is the enemy density. Um, Which is basically non-existent. Yeah, and that's true for really all of them. Like, you do find enemies in here. You find your scattered, like, malice turrets, I guess, (laughs) that shoot out the floating skulls. (laughs) but those are all one-shot enemies no matter what you hit them with. Yeah, and you do find a few like little puny guardian dudes, but it's really just like, I mean, you can stomp through all these guys without much of a problem. The yeah. only real combat you're doing in any Divine Beast is the boss. Yeah. And and the bosses themselves, as we said earlier, just really aren't such of a much. And uh, I don't know that I agree with that. I mean, I think that So, on normal mode, I don't find them such of a much. On master mode, I definitely found them a lot more challenging. The regeneration of health alone just makes them more difficult. Um, I think Thunderblight Ganon, as I said, as well, is is probably the hardest enemy in the entire game. Um, I did not struggle with... The first time I fought Water Black Gannon, I definitely had a more difficult time because I wasn't as adept with the uh, dodges and the uh, you know shooting him in the face to stun him. Um, now that I have gotten those mechanics down pretty well, um, as well as the utilization of a Stace, or a Cryonis to you know defeat any of the blocks that he throws at you. Yeah. Um, like when, once you like get that down, they're not terribly. It, he is, in my opinion is not terribly, or it is not terribly uh, difficult. So I think, I do think to your point about, you know, like manipulating the trunk and that whole section where you, you can go and like, there's a chest that you can get if you manipulate in the right way. And then there's the, uh, the activation stone that you get that way is really cool. Also using the trunk to douse the fire after you open up the, uh, the ceiling tile using, uh, Magnesis, Magnesis yeah. to, to crank the wheels. Like, that was really cool. Like, there are some very cool mechanics within these Divine Beasts, but I think they're so spar- sparse for what they could have been that, like, I, I find myself coming away from every Divine Beast encounter thinking, like, man, if they had made that twice as long, thrown some enemies in there, and also done, like, maybe a couple other cool puzzle things that would have been like so amazing. Yeah. That I just like kind of come away with a disappointed taste in my mouth. Yeah. I do agree with you on on the bosses that one of the main draws for me in doing master mode over normal mode is that the boss fights are more challenging yeah. and that's a lot of fun for me. Um Water Blight Ganon I think is actually mechanic like when you when you just put it in terms of like the mechanics of the boss It's not as hard as Thunderblight Ganon, but it's definitely a very challenging boss, especially when you, like... I'm not sure how much to spoil here, but, like, in Champion's Ballad, you have to go back and fight all these bosses again with, like, a limited pool of items. Waterblight Ganon is very hard yeah. in the champion's ballot, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and it's just because Water Blight Ganon, for one thing, especially once the water raises in the arena, the area in which you can stand is very little, so you have to do a lot of swimming between platforms, and then like timing your attacks against Water Blight Ganon um, appropriately, taking into account the extra time it takes to swim from one platform to another one. I think that's a lot of fun. Water Blight Ganon has got some really fun mechanics in terms of like how you can block its attacks and deflect them back at Water Blight Ganon. Um, Obviously, um, perfect dodging the spear thrusts is a good time, but the one I really like to do is using stasis to freeze Cryonis blocks that he shoots at you. And then deflecting them back at him. Yes, exactly. And that actually works really well. I think that's fun, and that's something that you don't really get to do with Cryonis blocks anywhere else in the game. Right. Um, So, yeah, I think Water Blight Ganon as a boss is is pretty fun, um, and and definitely challenging in its own way, but yeah, I mean, I, I think generally speaking um i would say that divine beasts and this divine beast um in particular are fun enough for what they are but don't exactly blow my mind right i I think that's a pretty succinct and accurate description right so coming away from this fight on normal mode instead of swimming between platform platforms i actually use Kryonas to create um pillars that i can just more easily because swimming is so slow in this game it's insanely slow yeah so um i I actually will create really you only need one cryonis block between each platform to be able to jump to it scale it jump over like it's not it it doesn't take too much but it does severely limit your ability to take advantage of stunning him via you know face shot or um you know redirecting his cryonis blocks because if you're not on the same block as he is you're you really can't get to where he is when he's downed. but and to get some more hits on him it's almost impossible almost impossible and so that is a definitely interesting mechanic that more uh that kind of forces you to utilize more ranged combat via bows or bombs or something yeah definitely. And, uh, i think that's a that's a really cool uh way that they kind of made this fight more difficult was to, to force that so you couldn't just go up and just like beat the shit out of him with a, a guardian sword or something definitely okay so I think that that is a pretty succ- succinct summation of our thoughts on Varuta um, real quick why don't you give us one one regular shrine that you did in this section that you want to single out for its excellence yeah so Ruko Mag, which is the five flame shrine uh, this, this shrine is very easy to cheese right like you can use fire arrows on this one to light all five pillars without ever moving anything Um, which I do most of the time. But this time I was like, I kind of want to like beat it the way that it was designed to be beat. So I actually did the whole puzzle solving of, you know, making the block move the certain directions to light all of the torches. And it was, it was a fun challenge. I I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I thought that it was clever in the way that you cannot move the block in any direction. There's only, there are two, um, Stones to activate that will move it in in a direction and those stones change direction when you move it so like you have to be very uh, deliberate and think a couple moves ahead of what you need to be doing to uh, to get all five lit without extinguishing any of them yeah so that was really fun. Yeah, I agree. Mine was the Kam Yatak Shrine, which is uh, also known as a Trial of Power. It's a shrine that's in central Hyrule as you're kind of making your way towards central Hyrule Tower. And this one is actually a very long shrine. You have to use stasis, magnesis, and uh, a little bit of motion gyro controls in order to um, hit stones – that will uh, knock into large stone gates and open your way to clearing into more of the shrine. Um, you've got to use stasis to build up momentum on the stones to knock them into the doors. You have to use magnesis to clear obstacles out of the way. And you've got to use gyro motion controls in one instance to hit a stone with a large hammer that will then open a door. Um, there's also some some more tanky guardian enemies in here. They're not as hard as like the test of strength. Uh, guardian robotic enemies but like uh i mean they're kind of a pain and they do take a lot of weapons to defeat so yeah i mean this is a really fun one and then also the rewards you get in here are great you can get a uh, edge of duality great sword in here you can get those are fun you can get an ancient core which is awesome because you need those to upgrade your uh, sheikah slate to get stasis plus and you can get a diamond Diamonds are great. They uh, if you don't use them for upgrading, they will net you like what a thousand rupees. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's a lot. So yeah, diamonds are pretty awesome. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, Kamya uh, talk was mine, uh, but I think that's going to do it for part three, which is the dungeon map and shrine diving. Let's move on to part four, which is Bloopy Trails, where we discuss things that uh, diverted our attention in this section of the game. The main one for me was the time that I spent in Central Hyrule. Um, I mostly wanted to get the Champion's Tunic before I went and got the first Divine Beast. And in order to do that, you have got to unlock one of the hidden memories and then go back to Impa. Of course, the first one that I wanted to do is the first one chronologically – which is the memory that you activate by going to the sacred grounds in central Hyrule. Um, that gives you your first cut scene in which you see the initiation ceremony where Zelda is kind of blessing Link and granting him the Master Sword, and the other champions are kind of talking while that happens. This scene is really cool, Matt, because it's the one in which Zelda specifically mentions the events of Ocarina of Time, Twilight Princess, and Skyward Sword, and their relation to the history of the Master Sword. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that was actually my number one uh, pick as well. Uh, I did a lot of uh, I did a lot of guardian hunting as I think I said earlier but um, it was I I spent some time in central Hyrule running around found a few Koroks over there uh, did some shrines uh, killed a lot of guardians I think I'm up to like four guardian cores and like nine uh, minor cores Um, so that was fun Uh, I put I also got the champion's tunic um, and did the memory quest as well um, because I really think I think the memory quest, which we have a most I think we have an entire episode later in the season dedicated to the memory quest, or at least, you know, we're, we're definitely planning on talking about it more once we have uh, gotten to more areas which allow us to speak about them chronologically. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, not talking too much about memories here, but like that, that memory is a lot of fun. And, you know, she specifically mentions uh, whether you, the hero is aloft in sky, adrift in time or steeped vis- in the glowing embers of twilight. Twilight, exactly. So, you know, she she clearly, at least in our opinion, uh, places the Breath of the Wild game within the child timeline. Yes. Um, I think there is, you know, I think some people have uh, debated that. But in our opinion, collectively, uh, Sacred Realms, we... we Put Breath of the Wild within the child timeline for this specific reason. Yeah, She calls out those heroes, which uh, obviously Ocarina of Time being the branching point, but Twilight Princess very uh, noticeably and obviously being within the child uh, timeline. So yeah. um, just calling that out is a lot of fun. Um, really cool. Easter egg is not exactly the right word, but you know, yeah. Easter egg on steroids. Um, that one's fun. I did... Uh, Uh, I put on my Bloopy Trails the Lionel at the top of uh, Shatterback Point um, because I thought that was, that's a fun, I like fighting Lionels just in general, I find them fun. Uh, So yeah, I think this was pretty much it. I did uh, trade in some Luminous Stones and get a Diamond. Uh, from our our friend in Zora's Domain who's looking for those. Uh, I don't know where he gets off on trading 10 Luminous Stones for a diamond, but like I'll I'll take that trade any day of the week. Yeah, I had that one as well. Definitely when you come across Luminous Stones and you'll see them more clearly at night, they'll be glowing blue rocks. Yep. um, Save all of your Luminous Stones. Don't sell them to Beetle or anything. Take them, once you have 10 to this Zora at the entrance of Zora's Domain, he will trade 10 Luminous Stones for a diamond. Um, That's a really great way to rack up on some rupees, especially if you have a lot of luminous stones sitting around in your inventory um yeah definitely that one uh so i I will say that the the main point of this bloopy trails for me was just getting the champions tunic it's a great uh piece of gear it can be upgraded to a defense rating higher than a lot of other stuff and it also does this fun thing where it shows you exactly how much health an enemy has left when you're fighting them yeah which uh, is really fun and useful in like master mode i don't find that particular uh perk of the champion's tunic super useful in normal mode. Um, most of the things that I am able to, I'm a most, of, most things I'm able to kill fairly quickly, um, just without needing to know what their health level is. So yeah, no, that's um, right. Don't, don't, lo- don't, don't get a lot of use out of it. Um, Also, since Linda and I are both holding to the standard of not upgrading gear past a reasonable point of defense race of defense rating, the fact that the champion's tunic can go all the way up to a 32 defense rating, which I believe is the highest in the game, even more so than the plate armor. I think so. um, It's not going to serve us too super well because we would have to keep it more around the one or two upgrade level. Um, So, well, it's cool uh, because Link wears it in all of the memory quests and everything, and that's his canonical garb within Breath of the Wild. I think the limitations that we have placed upon ourselves by playing uh, in, in our playthroughs this time uh, kind of limit its usability a yeah. little bit yeah I agree I agree alright let's get into part 5 which is Z-targeting where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross Matt I'm gonna let you go first with your Z-targeting pick for this week <laughs> oh it's Prince Sidon Prince Sidon is like everybody's boyfriend in, uh, <laughs> in this game he is like we're all horny for the fish man that is for sure he is a tall strong handsome uh, fish man and he's got the that smile with the twinkle, they even they give it the twinkle every time he does the smile with his <laughs> little power pose. I'm all about it, man. He's he's awesome. I I also love, as I stated a little earlier, that like even though Mifa, who was his older sister, who we find later out, who we find out later in the Champions Ballad, he just idolized his sister Mifa. Even though she died in the line of duty serving Link and Zelda, that does not jade Prince Zidon at all, Prince Sidon at all to what Link is and what he represents and the and the duty that he has. And Prince Sidon is more than willing to not only take up uh that responsibility of helping Link from his sister, he is going so far above and beyond to help his people. He is leaving Zora's domain to find someone, uh he's putting his pride aside, knowing that like he as a Zora can't utilize shock arrows. So therefore yeah. he can't do anything for about Varut. Yeah, Baruda. So like he is putting his pride aside and he is going to find somebody to help. And he is he is the ultimate not the old. He is a prime example of selfless leadership within Breath of the Wild that I just like really admire. And he also still manages to be super charming and uh, charismatic. I'm just like, he's awesome. He's the world's most relentlessly positive fish man. He is so positive. He's like Chris Traeger and <laughs> uh, in Parks and Rec. Literally, literally, literally. Yeah. Uh, link. <laughs> Link doesn't (laughs) have a last name, so you can't do the Ann Perkins thing. But I just admire him every time he sees Link, he's like, finger guns. Link. Yep. Yeah, now I'm there. Cool. Uh mine is actually gonna be Cass, who I Ah, did I did meet for the first time in this chunk of game. I ran into him at the Wetlands stable. And Cass is one of those characters who you are going to keep encountering your entire way through Breath of the Wild. And The thing is Breath of the Wild has got a lot of what it would call side quests in terms of like little missions or stuff you can do. Not a lot of them I think live up to maybe like the Majora's Mask standard of like side quests in which you get emotional payoff for a character. Some do, but I think – and we'll get back into this later once we kind of bring this to fruition, but Cass has got one of the best – uh, one of the best recurring quest lines of any NPC in Breath of the Wild. He himself is a really cool character. He's a bard and he's a Rito, which means he's a birdman. man. Um, he's, he's a bird man. He's a, he's a big parody looking bird man uh, who has an accordion and he's always got a song. And so the first time you meet him here, he will uh, mention that he was a student of one of the great um, one of the great poets of ancient Hyrule and he will play for you a song which recounts the events of the calamity as uh king um Rome had relayed them to us earlier but yeah Cass is a really fun person to talk to he seems surprised that we have never met a Rito before because we we ask him like are you a bird and he's like you've never met a Rito that's weird (laughs) um it's like okay yeah so yes you are a bird man um but anyway, he's, he's a really cool character, and uh, you you definitely run into him a lot throughout this game. Uh, a lot of shrine quests are tied to him, mm-hmm. and what I will say is that as you're playing through Breath of the Wild, if you ever come across Cass in the wild and he gives you a little poem about a nearby puzzle, that means that that's a shrine quest, and you have got to complete all of those that, qu- that Cass is able to give you in order to unlock one of the best cutscenes in the game that can happen later. Yep. Absolutely. Uh Cass is one of the uh main side quests that we will be following throughout our playthrough. Obviously, our one of our stated goals for this uh time in our in our fifth season is to complete all of the shrines. So we will be garnering that wonderful emotionally uh positive uh Yeah. S- cutscene uh later. Yep, definitely. So Cass definitely my Z targeting of the week. Good pick, Lyndon. All right, let's get into part six, which is our final thoughts, in which we're going to let Matt wrap up this section of the game as succinctly as he can think to do. Ugh, this one's harder. So this section of the game, if you follow the path that Linda and I took, takes us from Hateno back to Kakariko to learn more about who Link was a hundred years ago at the height of Hyrule Kingdom's power. Uh, we get some really emotional dialogue and... Uh, Backstory from his interaction with the princess and with the champions that really showcases some tension that existed even back then and some doubt that the champions and the princess herself had about the ability to succeed in their mission. Following that, we we progress towards our first divine beast and the Zora's domain uh, where we meet the Zora people who are a proud race of long-lived aquatic folk uh, who have been really jaded by living through uh, the defeat of – the Hylians, and of all of Hyrule at the hands of the Calamity. We see a very different take on uh, Link and Zelda from the Zora people than what we have seen from any character in the game so far. Uh, there's a there's a bitterness here that doesn't exist anywhere else. Um, along this path, we go through one of the most fun combat gauntlets in the game uh, where we get to really test our metal against some hard enemies uh, with some environmental challenges as we progress up to Zora's domain. We get to fight a Lionel at the top of Shatterback Point, which, if you haven't done so before, is one of the most challenging enemies of the game. Again, really uh, stressing the importance of uh, skill and timing in combat in Breath of the Wild and where it really shines. Uh, following that, we uh, we get to encounter our first divine beast, Varuta, which uh, is really a shrine on steroids, which, while not necessarily meeting the... Uh, Expectation that is what set by dungeons through other Zelda games really serves its purpose well within the context of Breath of the Wild. Um, all of this is couched in some really great character building for Link and for Mipha, who is our Zora champion. Where we learn a lot of emotional backstory between these two characters, and it really invests us in the Zora people and in Link's mission to not only save the princess but also to free the divine beasts and therefore free the spirits of the champions of these uh, four individuals who link has called uh, friend or adversary uh, or uh, brothers in arms throughout his past life uh, so a lot of really good things uh, setting up some great threads moving out throughout the rest of the game uh, and looking forward to seeing where we go next This has been the Sacred Realms Rundown. We will, of course, be back next week with another installment of the Sacred Realms Rundown in which we talk about Breath of the Wild Chapter 5, covering our exploration of the Faron region and Eventide Island. Mm. Ooh, that one's going to be so much fun. Mm. I'm so excited. I'm probably actually going to try and tackle that later tonight, and I'm really excited about it. I'll probably try to do that tomorrow. Yeah. All right, y'all. I think it's about time for us to get out of here. Before we do that, we usually set aside this portion of the episode to talk about gameplay stories or five-star reviews. Today, I've got a five-star review from iTunes that I just wanted to feature real quick because we – Absolutely always appreciate getting those. Um, Y'all have some wonderful things to say, and we do have a particularly excellent one to get into here. This one comes from Kelsey Jean 16, who says, I found the podcast in a roundabout way that stemmed from discovering Lyndon Zelda inspired illustrations. Ever since, I have thoroughly enjoyed each episode. It's incredibly refreshing to hear an actual discussion on the lore, technical craft, and personal experiences of playing a Zelda game, not just another theory or leak ramble. Each guest Matt and Lyndon invite brings something fun to the table, and it's the kind of banter I wish I could have with my friends if they were invested into the franchise as much as we are. Thank you both for creating a space to hang out, listen, and share the insights of why we love this franchise. Cheers, with a whiskey glass emoji. Ah, the whiskey glass emoji sets it all off. Thank you, Kelly. Kelsey. Thank you, Kelsey. Kelsey Jean. I'm sorry, I was like half paying attention. <laughs> Kelsey Jean, we appreciate your kind words so much. As always, we encourage all of you to leave five star reviews. We do, of course, read them here on the show. Y'all have a lot of wonderful things to say because we have uh, the best community in the uh, entirety of the podcasting world, I believe. I I would absolutely agree with that statement. Yep. Matt, you ready to get out of here for this week? I'm ready. It's about 11 p.m. and I'm ready to head on home and then we will be back here in uh, two days time to talk about Eventide Island and uh, Farron Woods. We'll, We'll regroup with our buddy max nichols who always has wonderful things to say literally always yep all right if literally chris literally always (laughs) (laughs) if you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra sacred realms in your life you can head over to patreon.com sacred realms pod and become a patron if you've got no rupees it's not a problem five star apple podcast reviews are a great free way to support us more reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy, Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind the scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on Breath of the Wild Chapter 5. We'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. Breath of the Wild can be played on the Wii U or the Nintendo Switch. In the meantime, May your hearts be full. May your arrows never miss. We will catch y'all next week. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel in Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences. Bye!